everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty good. Lisa mentioned the other day that she's interested in taking up pottery, which was good news for a bunch of reasons. One, if we have more plates, we don't have to do the dishes as often. That's just science. And B, Lisa taking up pottery means that we get to go overall shopping, which I'm always in favor of. I mean, if you show up at pottery lessons and you don't have a pair of overalls, I'm pretty sure they'd take one look at you and say, Oshkosh, be gone! Because of overalls. Well, that was a long way to go to get to that admittedly dumb joke, and I regret nothing. Now, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. This podcast side effect is mysterious itches. Scratch yourself and ask what happened, because here comes the synopsis. Thanks, Devin. Although, it should be noted that this podcast has never been proven to cause mysterious itches. If you find yourself experiencing them, you should visit a dermatologist and ask them what happened. Defenders, number 55, January 1978. Emotion, Ego, and Empty Expectations. The Power Principle, Part 3. Written by David Anthony Kraft. Drawed by Carmen Infantino. Inked by Klaus Janssen. Lettered by Gaspar Saladino. Colored by Klaus Janssen. And edited by Archie Goodwin. Defensive lineup. Hellcat. Nighthawk. The Incredible Hulk. Valkyrie. Namor the Submariner. And the Red Guardian. Previously in the Defenders. A creepy Soviet science douche named Sergei decided he wanted some superpowers, so he started doing nuclear tests on himself. When the test was successful, the newly souped-up Slavic scientist figured he had earned himself a cool new codename. Thus, plain old Sergei became... Codename Sergei. Which is not how codenames work. Unfortunately, a tenuous grasp on the concept of rebranding was far from codename idiot's least admirable trait. The questionably codenamed creep was obsessed with former defender the Red Guardian, a.k.a. Dr. Tanya Belinsky, and had been stalking the Vermilion Vigilante for quite some time. Codename Jerkhole had his agents blackmail the sartorially scarlet swashbuckler into returning to the USSR, and then kidnapped her. After having the crimson-clad crime fighter brought to his secret underground lair, the radioactive reprobate used his new atomic powers to mind-control her, and force her to agree to undergo further nuclear experiments with him, and also be his, quote, mate, unquote. Gross and creepy! Tanya struggled against her captor's mental commands, but to no avail. The suddenly subjugated superhero found herself with no choice but to comply with the wishes of her stupidly pseudonymed Svengali. Nor was Tanya the only former defender to suffer from codename fuckfaces entitled hubris. The Soviet scientists' subterranean experiments had been leaking radioactive waste into the surrounding ocean, which had been poisoning the undersea kingdom of Atlantis. Impassioned by his people's imperilment, Prince Namor went to New York to enlist the aid of the world's greatest superheroes. Unfortunately, they were busy, so the abdominally adroit Atlantean had to settle for Nighthawk, the Hulk, and Hellcat. 
Well, this quartet of her compatriots piled into Namor's amphibious assault vehicle and headed off on their aquatic adventure, the sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger known as Valkyrie undertook an arduous adventure of her own, enrolling in classes at Empire State University. After a few false starts, the Asgardian aspiring undergrad finally managed to conquer the labyrinthian admissions process. Hooray! Valkyrie celebrated her victory by going to the movies with two film students named Ledge and Dollar Bill, who she had met at a campus cafe. The Azir Amazon was immediately enraptured by her first cinematic experience and soon sought out subsequent celluloid sojourns. After having a brief discussion about a violent new campus vigilante, a lunatic named Lunatic, Val agreed to accompany Dollar Bill back to his apartment to watch another movie. Unfortunately, the subject of this film-going experience was a somewhat less-than-enthralling self-narrated documentary her new pal had made about his own early life. The sleepy cinephile soon found herself slumbering on Bill's couch. While Valkyrie napped, her fellow defenders sped subaquatically towards the source of the nuclear waste that was threatening Atlantis, but as they approached codenamed Dipshit's hidden lair, their vessel was torn asunder by a horrifying explosion. Our heroes were too late. Sergei had triggered the final stage of his plan. He had detonated an atomic bomb and stood alongside the Red Guardian at the epicenter of the blast, with the hope that he and Tanya would absorb all of the power released by the explosion. Amazingly, this nuclear nonsense seemed to go exactly according to plan. Sergei and a still mind-controlled Red Guardian emerged from the ordeal crackling with atomic energy. Codenamed Jackass, now sitting on a floating chair and wearing a fancy golden outfit, informed our shipwrecked heroes that he had adopted yet another codename that I won't be using. The Presence. Gadzooks! Will even the combined might of our assembled heroes prove a match for the newly atomic codename Shitheel? Now that Val has displayed her ability to navigate academic bureaucracy, will any other defenders reveal a hidden talent? And seeing as the Red Guardian was standing next to the nuclear explosion just like Sergei, will she also get a fancy floating chair? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... nope. Hellcat does some telekinesis, and Kyle plays a musical instrument. And... nope. Turns out that in addition to being a consent agnostic, blackmailing, murderous, bad name having, ocean polluter, codename Fucknut is also a chair hog. What an asshole. Namor, the Hulk, Hellcat, and Nighthawk confront codename Chairhog and the Red Guardian and are like, what the fuck, guys? Codename Chuzzlewit makes like a Sally Jesse Raphael guest and is like, I do what I want. The Hulk is pretty pissed off at having a nuclear bomb blown up at him, again, and is hurt that his purported pal Tanya seems to have betrayed him. The Jade Giant leaps at his two floating foes with intent to smash. That doesn't go so great. Sergei smacks the bounding behemoth all the way to Moscow. Literally. The Hulk crashes through the onion-shaped domes of St. Basil's Cathedral right across from the Kremlin. I'm told that some people think that those domes are minarets and that they are part of the Kremlin. Boy, I bet those people feel dumb when they casually mention that in a podcast conversation with their brother that they record later in this episode. Poor hypothetical idiots. Anyway, with the Hulk out of the picture, it's up to Namor to take the fight to the souped-up, supercilious Soviet scientist. The Avenging Scion of Atlantis leaps into the fray and starts distributing punches from each fist according to its ability to each floating chair hog according to what an entitled manipulative mass-murdering jerkhole they are. Sadly, much like its economic counterpart, this theory of punch distribution works better in theory than it does in practice. Even the amphibious Avengers' mightiest of blows have virtually no effect 
on Codename Shitbag. While her aquatic ally is delivering ineffectual knuckle sandwiches to the object of his animosity, Hellcat is busy dodging atomic fist blasts from her erstwhile amigo, the Red Guardian. As she acrobatically flees her former friend's fission-fueled fisticuffs, the feline freedom fighter keeps trying to remind Tanya of the camaraderie they once shared as members of the Defenders. Patsy's cajoling has little apparent effect on the psychically subjugated superhero, but deep within her, a dim ember of her previous persona is reignited. Which makes sense. I mean, those guys once teamed up to fight a brainwashed Steve who kept yelling rush lyrics at them. When you go through something like that, a bond is formed. As Nighthawk's compatriots combat their communist counterparts, the billionaire do well bird enthusiast bravely runs away. I mean, to be fair, it's daytime, so Kyle's only as strong as one regular Kyle, and he is running back to the wreckage of the fancy Atlantean submarine to see if he can find any weapons there, but still, it's not a great look. As he approaches the remains of the destroyed vessel, Richmond starts feeling pretty queasy. I get it. I mean, if I had to listen to his inner dialogue all the time, I'd probably get a little nauseous too. The affluent avian aficionado sifts through the ship's detritus and manages to hold his tummy trouble in check long enough to find something that he thinks might be useful. Is it a spear gun? No. Some kind of a laser blaster? No. A replacement jetpack so that he can stop fucking whining about the fact that his jetpack is broken. No, the device that Kyle stumbles upon is a giant horn-shaped seashell. What, is he going to defeat Sergei by making him a mobile so that he can always remember the fun day they had at the beach together? Kyle toots on the shell, reasoning that maybe it's a battle horn that will summon Atlantean reinforcements. It should come as no great shock that Kyle is very, very wrong. Rather than reinforcements, the shell tooting summons an angry, ancient leviathan from the bottom of the sea. The enormous, furious creature appears to be made out of orange rocks and is less than impressed with Nighthawk's musicianship. It reaches the conclusion that irritable beings made from orange rocks often do. It's clobbering time. The monster starts smashing indiscriminately. Speaking of monsters who enjoy smashing indiscriminately, the Hulk jumps back from his unplanned trip to Moscow and finds the recently risen kaiju intent on destroying Kyle. After taking a minute to decide which side of the battle he ought to join, the Hulk punches the shit out of the stone sea monster. Hellcat is still dodging Tanya's atomic blast and trying to get her to snap out of it. Hellcat's almost preternatural charisma begins to have some effect, and Tanya Belinsky slowly begins to regain some small sense of herself. Unfortunately, while Tanya is rediscovering her sense of self-determination, a KO'd kaiju starts falling on her and Patsy. Uh-oh! Hellcat shoots one of her cat-clawed grappling hooks at a nearby tree to swing her and the Red Guardian to safety, but the launching mechanism was damaged in the shipwreck, and the claw falls short of its target. Fortunately, Hellcat remembers that one time when she was hanging out on the moon of Jupiter, and a bald lady taught her to be telekinetic. Neat! In the seconds before they are crushed, Hellcat uses the force to latch her grappling claw onto a tree, snatches a still-stunned Tanya, and swings them clear of danger. Hooray! A little ways away, Namor and codename Crumbum are still duking it out. When Kyle barrels in and is like, Uh, guys, somebody may have tooted on a giant seashell and now a huge monster is going to crush us. Also, that someone was me. Damn it, Kyle. 
Codename Crabwagon has evil shitty plans that don't involve being smushed by a sea monster, so he makes a nuclear explosion that turns the ancient creature into several tons of orange gravel. Dang. The proximity to yet another nuclear blast has a somewhat surprising side effect on the Hulk. It changes him back to Bruce Banner. Huh. I almost forgot that was a thing that could happen. I mean, we haven't seen Bruce in, like, some 30-odd issues. I wonder if after the transformation, his regular human body then has to digest the Hulk-sized servings of beans that his alter ego has consumed. I might explain the distressed expression Banner always seems to have on his face. Codename Piece of Shit turns his attention back to our heroes and is like, Now I am going to destroy all of you. Here I go. But at the last minute, the Red Guardian pipes up and is like, Oh, fuck off, Sergey. Hooray! Codename Fucknut is taken aback and says, How can you say that, Tanya? I love you. Tanya replies, You aren't loving shit. You brainwashed me and used mind control to command me to be your girlfriend. Then you made me stand next to an atom bomb explosion and told me to murder my friends. This is not a healthy relationship. This is you being an abusive, delusional, super-powered asshole. Now be fucking off. Hooray! Codename Abusive Delusional Superpowered Asshole is like, Yeah, that is a pretty good point, actually. Okay, I'll just be fucking off then. I mean, unless someone wants to stop me? No? Shit. O okay, bye. And with that, Codename Fartface sadly fucks off. Hooray! Or... Maybe not quite so hooray, because after Sergei sadly slouches away in his floating chair, our heroes start doubling over in pain. Bruce Banner informs them, Oh yeah, you guys remember all that nuclear radiation we've been rolling around in? Well, it's nuclear radiation. Now we're gonna die. Well, maybe not me because of the whole I'm the Hulk thing. And I think Tanya's probably gonna be alright too, but uh, Namor, Hellcat, Kyle, and pretty much all of Atlantis... You guys are fucking dead. Sorry. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got like 35 issues worth of beans to digest. Dang. Way to bring down the room, Bruce. Well, the important thing is that Codename Nincompoop is sad and got his feelings hurt. Hooray! Then we get an epilogue. Valkyrie has woken from her biopic-induced slumber and Ledge has offered to walk her to the subway while Dollar Bill respools his boring-ass film and tries to soothe his wounded ego. Ledge tries to ask Val out on a date, but is interrupted by the arrival of Lunatic, the hyper-violent campus vigilante. Lunatic appears to be enamored with Val, and proudly displays a pile of drug dealers he has just beaten the shit out of with a metal pole. Val is like, what a fucked up thing to do. She pulls out her magic sword and prepares to do battle. Valkyrie is absolutely correct, and I hope that she beats the living shit out of Lunatic, but I gotta say, I still like him better than Jack Norris. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you? I am doing pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, I'm still adjusting to our new post-four-year-old life, now that our show is over four years old. Oh, Probably means we're going to be wanting a bigger allowance and uh -huh. more maybe, freedom. Maybe our own room someday. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Hey, wait. 
We got a room. Hey, pretty good. All right. Here's to the comic book room. You want to talk about this comic? Sure. What do you think of this comic? I enjoyed it. I did too. It was a little bit jarring for me to read a comic book in which it was a full comic book length and stuff happened in it. Yeah, I was actually a little, like, tired at the end. I, I needed to uh, to sit down and rest for a minute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wish I had one of those floating chairs. Where would you float it? Yeah, I don't know, wherever. Just, uh... Needs to be in water, though, right? No, I'm talking like, uh, like, codename Fuckface has in this. Oh, one of those. Yeah, he is the laziest, most powerful man in the universe. He <laughs> never gets out of that fucking chair. So, I hate Sergey. I think he's a real piece of shit. He pisses me off pretty much from the second he shows up until he leaves at the end of this. But, I will say, if I was ever fighting superheroes, I like to think that I would sit down while doing it. That's a power play. That's a total power play. And like, he I'm does. not even going to get up. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. He blasts the heck out of those people. Uh-huh. He makes a couple of weird choices. Why do you think... Why does he have that strip of purple cloth hanging in front of his junk? Um, maybe it's, uh, like a utility kill. Didn't we talk about this before? We might have, but it's just so pronounced. I think in this, specifically in the first panel, mm -hmm. it's, it's like he just built some curtains for his junk. Mm. And I hope it doesn't mean he's planning to do a puppet show later. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> I said I hope he isn't. <laughs> Corey. Oh, man. Anyway, yeah, fuck that guy. Do not like him. No, I he's do not like, likable. No, although on the cover, he does look like a crab, kind of. Oh, yeah. kind of want to put a novelty shirt on him that says, Don't bother me, I'm crabby. Oh. That'd be fun. That'd be appropriate, because yeah. he's a big jerk. Yep. What do you think of the art in this issue? Yeah, I was going to comment on that. I really like the uh, Infantino and Jansen team. I do. I feel like for the things in it that I like, Jansen is maybe doing a little bit more of the heavy lifting. But the panels are laid out really well, and the action really does flow from page to page and from panel to panel really, really well. And it is weird that this came out only three years before the comic we covered last week, the New Teen Titans story that Carmen Infantino did. Mm -hmm. I really think that does lend credence to the idea that the reason that the art in that looked so sloppy was that it was the digest format. Because uh, this is some good stuff. It is, and I think one of the things that makes the whole book seem super dynamic was there is a total... I don't know if glut is the right word, but there is an abundance of sound effects just everywhere that are super dynamic. There are a ton of really great sound effects. I started writing them down and then I just kind of couldn't stop. I st I st I've got like seven of them written down and there I could have picked almost any of them. It was pretty neat. But I was super stoked to see Klaus Jansen back, especially that he's doing the color for it as well. Mm -hmm. it, it always just looks more cohesive to me when Jansen does his own colors. And especially the fact that this was a Red Guardian-focused issue. The way that he draws Tanya Belinsky is kind of my definitive Tanya Belinsky. It, it always seemed like his influence was more pronounced in panels where she was featured. Belinsky. Belinsky. Yeah, I agree. He does a mean Belinsky. It's good to see her come back into her own. Mm-hmm. 
Man, that's one crazy fucking horn, huh? How did that... So, it was on the ship with the other equipment and stuff, and it just washed up and Nighthawk found it? Is that yeah, what happened? Yeah, it's standard safety equipment you have on any Atlantean vessel. You're going to need some flotation devices, you're going to need a fire extinguisher, and you're going to need a giant horn that can summon brick leviathans from the depths of the ocean floor that want nothing but to destroy everything in their sight. Yeah, that was so puzzling to me because they're not like... Um... Atlantean allies necessarily, right? No, They no. just want to smash everything. They are just pissed off that somebody is playing a fucking horn in their ear. Well, that's understandable. Yeah. And I guess they're the only ones that can hear the horn. It actually reminds me kind of of the way that Doctor Strange treats the Hulk. I wonder if maybe that's why Namor and Steve got along in the first place, is he sees Steve just, like, acting as an irritant from afar and taunting this giant monster that's super strong and that that's his battle tactic and he just kind of nods and is like yes imperious rex this steve fellow may uses tactics i understand hmm. if you're yeah. going into battle you want to piss off a monster first <laughs> could be i can't think of a way in which that would be really useful no i mean they've done similar things in the defenders with the hulk I guess if you can get in front of the monster far enough and have your enemy between you and it. Sure. That would be a thing that might work. But that's not what happened here. And I kept expecting that to be what happened here when Kyle toots the horn and summons this fucking brick Cthulhu. I kept thinking that that thing would fight the presence. Right. And... No, it did not benefit them in any way. It was just another thing that was trying to kill them and hurt their enemy in no way. It was a total fuck-up with no redemption. Yeah, uh, nice work, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. As fucking usual in this comic book. <laughs> he, oh my god. He is such a fucknut in this comic. He kept whining about not having his jetpack anymore. Like, I think it came up three times in this issue. It came out a, up a bunch in the in the last one. But there was one panel specifically that it super cracked me up because I think it was a disconnect between the artist and the writer. I think Infantino maybe didn't read ahead and didn't know that he was supposed to have a broken jetpack because you see him leaping into the air in a Superman motion. And then the very next panel, he is complaining that he doesn't have his jetpack. I think between those two panels, he probably just belly flopped into the dirt. And I wish we could have seen that panel. I wish that as well. He also did the thing that he always does, but in this issue it was particularly noticeable, where he feels the need to assert authority and does it in such a way that it is not respected by the Hulk. Big surprise. No. But also not respected by himself. It just seemed really impotent. Like, yeah, he's not a good leader he isn't he isn't and i'm not saying it's good if he is belligerent and doubles down on it but it's so ineffective when he is like hulk you'll do what i say oh the hulk's never gonna do what i say why are you even talking you can have an inner monologue kyle i don't know that he can uh, good point then again i guess i shouldn't judge too harshly i'm thinking about trying to get dogs to do what you want like you never have that discussion with with Lisa where you're like, we need to be consistent. Like, 
Tina and I have this. And yeah. Then next thing I know, I'm just like, oh, yeah, sure, you can eat this yogurt in the kitchen. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> totally not supposed to do that. So you're saying that the Kyle is, like, being a bad dog trainer with the Hulk and that he's inconsistent. I mean, he has neither carrot nor stick with which to train, if you would, the Hulk. Yeah, I'm just saying it's hard to be consistent. Yeah. I thought you were just talking about his inner dialogue, and I was going to contradict you because I have been very good at establishing an inner dialogue. I found myself not saying something out loud to somebody who was annoying me really? when I was at work the other day. Good job. And it was something that I f thought of that I thought was very funny, which, as you know, is that's, something that I often have difficulty especially a good not idea saying aloud. To keep that to yourself. The thought popped into my head. Oh, yeah? Well, you look like a fraggle and not one of the cool ones. <laughs> wow. And I didn't say it. Well, good. Despite the fact that that guy looked like a fraggle and not one of the cool ones. Mm. Andy was being a jerk. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Remarkable self-restraint, sir. Thank you. So at the end, when Sergey flies off in his hover chair... Do you think he thought that Tanya was going to call his bluff? Because that was kind of the impression that I got. It really seemed like a, fine, then I'll just go away. And then, like, looking sadly over his shoulders, like, here I go. And then was just like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. I fucked that up. It's entirely possible. He definitely has an unrealistically good opinion of himself. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you can basically take away somebody's agency and then not see a problem with that means that your whole take on the way the world works is kind of screwed up right yes and it is super fucked up and he is shocked that she contradicts him about anything and reacts like he is hurt like that's a what do you call that it's a narcissistic personality yeah. disorder right yeah which absolutely makes sense for him and i was actually really gratified at tanya's reaction to it i think we talked about last episode I was worried about how they were going to handle this. And if they were going to have her be like, you went about it the wrong way, but I did come to love you over this time. Like, they didn't go there. I was so nervous that they were going to go there with it. Mm -hmm. Did you kind of get that impression? Or... I was totally nervous about it. I was thinking about, like, the way that a Valkyrie's been written a couple times or something creepy happened. And she's like, oh, that was interesting. Yeah. Like when Hawkeye was hanging out with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they didn't do that. He says, lose the one thing I care about after gaining ultimate power. And she says, you said it yourself, Sergei. Thing. What? What have you lost? A zombie. That is all. An image that existed only in your limited imagination. Yeah, I was actually really impressed by that because the idea of, uh, you know, that saying thing and objectifying and yeah. all that was not something that I had, you know known as part of popular discourse and talking about the way and uh, gender relations and all of that until i don't know college or something yeah and to hear it come out of this 1970s comic book was pretty refreshing i i was i was pretty happy with that although you talked about him not seeing anything wrong with robbing her of her agency you do see earlier even though he is like nigh omnipotent he acts as though he does not have agency or he talks about himself that way he does not take responsibility for the things that he's doing. Namor has a really nice moment where he says, for once it will be only the leaders that will suffer in this battle as he goes to attack Sergei mano a mano, which I guess means hand to hand. But yeah, maybe he's going to do that. But Sergei blasts 
all of the other Atlanteans who are trying to help Namor, and not Namor, and says, Alas, Namor, not only the leaders. There are always many victims in power battles, both physical and psychological. As he's blasting them, it's like, you're doing that. You're making a conscious choice to take that action. That's not like, yes, well, these things happen. Smack. Fuck you, dude. Yeah, no, I think he's just being a jerk. He's being like, uh, hey, if you want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. Here's an example, fucko. Except for he's not even saying that. He's like using the passive voice. He's like, well, it looks like in omelet making, eggs get broken. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I see what you're right. He does talk about at the end being insecure, right? Yeah, something like that. So maybe that was in there somewhere and that's why. He's a real shit, but he's an interesting shit. I mean, I guess he's interesting, but I just hated him so much and I was so nervous at how they were going to handle his defeat at the end that I couldn't even enjoy my hatred of him. That's a good bad guy. No, it's not. No? You want to be able to enjoy hating somebody. <laughs> that's it's, a that's, that's a more healthy hatred. Yeah, well, it's like with with fiction, you often get like the villains you love to hate. I didn't love hating him. Mm-hmm. I just hated him. In pro wrestling, there's there's this phenomenon where the bad guy wants people to hate him, and that's called getting heat. And so you'll you'll do stuff like you'll talk shit about the sports teams in whatever town you're in. Mm-hmm. And that's called getting cheap heat because it's easy. Mm-hmm. But there's another kind of heat that's just go away heat. The kind of heat you want to get, the kind of hatred you want is, oh, I can't wait to see this guy get his comeuppance. Mm-hmm. The go away heat is just like, I just don't care. I want to not look at this guy. Mm-hmm. And that's what I had with Sergey. And part of why I had it is, again, with pro wrestling, you will get situations where the booking is such that there's a storyline and the bad guy is being a real shit. Maybe he's being racist as part of it and trying to generate heat that way. And it can be satisfying if they handle it right and they're like, yes, yeah, so he's saying this because he's a bad guy. And you know that in the end, the guy he's being racist against is going to beat the shit out of him. But you can't really enjoy it. Not only because you can't really enjoy racism on any level, even if it's leading to that as an end, but... Because you don't trust them to not have him win. Mm. You know? And that was where I was at with Sergey. Yeah, I don't know. I, I sort of saw this issue as the, the arc and... Or the issue in which his, his arc would come to an end. At least for now. Yeah. I mean, I knew it would come to an end. I was honestly really just so nervous that they were going to have Tanya go off with him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. No, at the end, it's like, Your words have the ring of wisdom. You are right, Tanya. Despite all my power, I am a very small man. And very lonely. But I will go. And that's where I think he was like, Don't try to stop me. Yeah. You know, there's a nice metaphor in there, too. Maybe intentional, maybe not. But, like, so he's a really toxic, shitty character who mm-hmm. fucks everything up Literally to get what toxic. he wants. Yeah. And then... Even after he's left, he leaves behind this radiation sickness that's poisoning the planet and poisoning yeah. everybody else. And it's not unlike that when you have extricated yourself from a situation or, or there's a group where somebody was a real yeah. f- fuck up and then they're gone. Like, there's still this fallout that remains emotional or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It was a... Yeah, I don't know. This is one of those where it's a comic book and there's shit blowing up and cool sound effects. But afterwards, I was kind of sitting around. I was like, huh. There's jerks everywhere. It's <laughs> an that's important a, message for deep, us all to learn. And some deep thoughts about it. Yeah. 
So, she had talked about it before, but I think this is the first time we see Hellcat use the Force. That was pretty cool. That was cool. I was pretty stoked about that. I mean, she had mentioned that she had her Jedi training when she was living on the moon. Moon Dragon. No, she was living with Moon Dragon and... A moon of Jupiter, maybe? Moon of Jupiter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is the first time we see it in action, and it's a very small thing that she does. She doesn't, like, levitate the brick Cthulhu, which was what I thought she was going to try to do. But she just uses it to make her, uh, her grappling claw catch on something that it wasn't going to, and then she whisks Tanya out of the way. Nice work. Nice work, and I like how hard she had to work for it. She was drawn with... Buckets of sweat coming out of her mask, mm-hmm. which is going to be very uncomfortable. I would imagine so. And afterwards, so excited and happy and wanting to share her accomplishment with Red. So exuberant. Yeah. Yes. I said we hadn't seen her use the Force before. Do you think that is why the coffee pot kept blowing up? She had was so freaked out about uh, what Kyle was doing. I mean, or possibly, or just like she just really wanted coffee in the morning. Mm. And was just like, I'm just going to... Give her a little extra mind juice. I'm gonna goose it. Yep. And, uh... Boom. I think that might be the case. Speaking of other powers that I don't know if I'd seen before, we did see Namor uh, absorb and then redirect radioactive energy. And is this one of these things where it's like, oh, some characters can just do anything sometimes? I think it may have been a misunderstanding of... We saw a few issues ago he could use electric eel power. Mm-hmm. I think maybe there was just like, oh, yeah, I saw him zap, zap somebody with, with, with fish man powers before, so he can, he can zap things. Or maybe there is a deep sea fish that can reflect and redirect uh, atomic energy blasts, and he's just using that fish's power. Oh, okay. Because he has fish, he can use, like, the powers of any fish sometimes which was something that they'd more or less written out of his character, but I liked to see it again. Yeah, the specifically with nuclear energy, I was like, man, there are some crazy fucking fish down there. Like anglerfish and goblinfish. Uh, cuttlefish? Yeah, they don't like to cuddle. No, but they're cool. Misnamed. Got a nautilus. Why do they call them that? Uh, it's U-T-T-L-E. Oh, okay. So yeah, they're not just cuddly name. fish. Yeah, probably. All right. But... Nah, man. I don't, man, yeah. Cuttlefish are dope. Cuttlefish and Nautilus, underappreciated cephalopods. I know, octopus hugging all the credit. Don't put this on octopuses. Oh, what are you, They're squid, pretty are you great. a squid person? Look, don't make me choose between cephalopods. Huh? I, no, no good will come of that. I am on record as saying that one day our cephalopod overlords will develop the concept of childhood, and when that happens... They will develop SCOBA, self-contained overland breathing apparatuses, and will conquer us all. And when that day comes, I welcome our cephalopod overlords. Man, you've said this about the robot overlords, too, so... Yeah! I'm I'm consistent in my capitulation. (laughs) (laughs) Nice alliteration. Thank you. I hope that our octopus, or nautilus, or cuttlefish friends will appreciate that as well. I bring a lot to the table, guys. But if you're a squid, you're out of luck. You didn't mention squid. Yeah, I know. Fucked up. They get big, too. Yeah, I know. Giant squids get pretty big. (laughs) (laughs) 
What did you think about the Valkyrie story? She only gets one page in here, but in some ways just kind of stole the thunder of the rest of the uh, issue. I loved the joke she made about the date. Do you think that was a joke, or was that genuine naivete on her part? I actually can't tell with her these days if she's being clever <laughs> or being naive sometimes. Yeah, I think it was clever. But I think it was clever, but playing on her perception of naivete. But either way, it's pretty great. Uh, Ledge sheepishly says that he was hoping they could be alone so that he could ask her out on a date. And Val responds, A date? You wish to offer me some dried fruit in Dollar Bill's absence? And he starts stammering like a dope. Mm -hmm. And then Lunatic shows up. And is Lunatic a cat, maybe? Because he just offers up a pile of badly beaten drug dealers mm -hmm. to Val. Like he is a cat dragging a dead bird into a house and being like, huh, you like? Uh, no, I don't think he's a cat. Oh, that's too bad. I was hoping maybe Wonder Girl would strangle him. <laughs> well, she'd have to be hypnotized. Oh, man. What I want to he... show her the trailer for the movie Cats. <laughs> That, the new one? Yeah. That's creepy as fuck. It is. It's like they're all the cats from Renaissance paintings that have like human faces from before they knew how to draw cats. I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds also, that also sounds creepy. I'll show you some pictures of uh, Renaissance paintings of cats. They're really weird looking. Cats and babies. They just hadn't figured out that technology yet. The painting technology? Yeah. I don't think I need to see the new cats musical movie i don't know if i don't or if i very much do that sounds confusing it is hmm. <laughs> i mean i saw cats on broadway when i was a kid and you know that i like musicals mm -hmm. and even as a kid i was like what the fuck just happened mm. as near as i could tell the the plot of cats is a bunch of cats show up and take turns introducing themselves and then have a dance contest to see which one of them gets to die and go to heaven in a spaceship. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's based on a book of T.S. Eliot's poems. It's probably anti-Semitic in ways I didn't understand. Oh. Just T.S. Eliot, you know. His name's an anagram for toilets. This is such an educational podcast. Like, I know, that's so how we get things. that grant. Wait, you got a grant? Oh, yeah, we got a ton of grant money. I just have to keep saying educational things like that. Oh, okay. I'm assuming. I think that's how grants work. You say educational things and they give you money. I think they have to now. Or else they'll be in breach of implied contract. I think you have to ask them first for the money, no? Oh! If you're a lawyer and you want to help me sue the government for that grant money I'm owed for just being so educational, contact us at ttwasteland.gmail.com. Thank you. Also, if you have any alcohol, mattresses, or underwear you would like us to review, send it with the lawyer. Or yeah, send a lawyer over with the underpants. Yes. And we'll review them. The lawyer doesn't have to be wearing the underpants. It's not that kind of a thing. These are separate concepts. Yeah, totally separate. Just yeah. can carry them like in a bag. Yeah, like a briefcase. Huh? Oh. Or a briefs case. <laughs> you want to get into the minutia? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Cory. Yep. 
What was your favorite sound effect? We talked about this a little bit. Oh, shit. Yeah, I actually, I think I did the opposite of what you did, where you said you just kept writing them down, and I think I stopped after, like, four. But, yeah, the sound effects in here are great, mm -hmm. and they're rendered really nicely as part of the action in the panels. They're dynamic, and there's good movement to them. I'm going to start with the one that I was most confused by, but is probably also my favorite. Mm. And it's on page 26 when um, Codename Fuckface makes the uh, nuclear explosion. Mm-hmm. And it makes the sound effect, Castanada. Yeah. Right? Like Carlos Castanada. Right. I like it. It's so confusing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, mis that's magical realism for you. Mm. Wait, was Carlos Castanada master? Nope. Magic? No. That's uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Fuck. Carlos, Carlos Cast Castanada did uh, Don Juan. The take acid and t-shirt guy. Yeah. Yeah. If that's not magical realism. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, pretty cool. Carlos Castaneda, my favorite sound effect of the issue. Uh, it didn't crack me up as much as on page 25 when uh, Hulk is fighting the rock monster. Uh -huh. And it's a two-part sound effect that goes, Foosh! Sklop! <laughs> Foosh! Sklop is pretty good. I had Sklop written down. That's the only one you've listed that I have written down. Oh, and really? I've got a bunch written down. Oh, I've got a few more. Oh, okay. What else you got? Uh, I've got a ploke. I've... I got a, I got a, I have, I thought it was plowk. But yeah, pretty good. Plowk. That's the Hulk punching the uh, rock monster. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I got a zoof. Yeah, I didn't have zoof. I got a bazap. I didn't have a bazap. All right. Well, there we go. I had rug. What What makes a rug? Um, it is Nighthawk tackling Namor. Makes the noise. Rug. Is that like Namor's wind getting knocked out of him? Uh, maybe, maybe... Kyle is still playing that stupid fucking horn, and it's going, Aruga! And that was a disappointing horn. I wanted a nice... We got, we got no sound effect? No, no Tiki-York. No Tiki-York. I'm sorry. Uh, it's not a shofar, I guess. Well, so. maybe that's the noise that it is making to the uh, Stone Cthulhu. We, just we do say it. that we can't hear it. Just it's too high-pitched, which is weird for a horn that size. You would think low-pitched, mm -hmm. especially because it's a giant thing that can hear it. But there's a lot about sound engineering that I don't understand. Well, we don't. Nobody knows, really. That's fair. I liked when Namor punched Codename Fuckface, and it made the noise, Ska Pack! Mm -hmm. Because I think I may have purchased a Ska Pack in the past. Be uh, three CDs. Mm. Be like, uh... You got your mustard plug? You got your... No, no, no. These would be all compilations, because you're buying the Ska Pack. So it would just be like, uh, I got you covered. That is all the uh, ska covers from various artists. And probably, mm, I'm going to say Mash It Up Volume 3, the best of uh, Boston ska. Sounds like a good time. Yeah, no, it was a quality ska pack. Mm, like I, getting punched by anymore. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I also really like Zomp. That was a pretty good noise. But I think my favorite of them was the Hulk getting nuclear punched through the minarets of the Kremlin. As established in the opening synopsis, I am now aware those were not minarets, nor was that the Kremlin. Thank you. Which made the noise, zoo, cratch, oosh. Mm -hmm. Like it's a zoosh that's then punctuated by a second sound effect, the crash of the minarets being destroyed. And that crash was made with Ks where you would expect to see Cs, which somehow made it seem more Cyrillic. 
it was a complicated sound effect and I really, really dug it. It was super evocative and it was just cool. I liked that actually better than the actual Cyrillic that was in here because the way that that was lettered was a combination of script and printed Cyrillic letters, which I found very, very difficult to uh, parse. Yeah, I was going to ask you if that was just like some, like uh, how when they write like what Starfire's language looks like, or if it was actually part of the Cyrillic. The only word I was able to actually recognize in it was Bolshoi, which means big. Uh, so I'm assuming that it was actual words that they probably did look up the the Cyrillic of. But like I said, it's a combination of script and print, and my Russian's very, very bad. And between those two things, I couldn't quite figure out what it was. But it said Bolshoi, which means big. So, you know, there's that. Nice work. Thank you. Corey, it's time for our favorite new segment. Behold! Or... Be gone! Okay. Valkyrie's quick change routine. Mm. When Valkyrie pulls out her invisible at the time sword, Dragon Fang, she instantly changes into her superhero outfit. Mm -hmm. If you were presented with a magic invisible sword that when you pulled it out, you changed your clothes instantly, would you say, Behold! Or would you say, Be gone! Oh, man, that is a thousand times behold. Corey. Yeah. You are my brother and I love you. I don't know if you've thought this through. Well, no, I just thought if I had a magical sword and I pulled it out and I got cool clothes, it would be awesome. It's a magical sword, but it is an invisible sword that you would have to carry with you at all times. You get used to it, I'm sure. It's like wearing glasses or shoes or something. If glasses and shoes were razor sharp. Well, it's in a scabbard. I feel like it could be very dangerous. Oh, no, no, no. It's like uh, learning to drive a stick shift. At first, it's confusing and dangerous, but then you don't even think about it. I mean, I feel like it would be like learning to drive a stick shift if the, if the shift knob was covered in iron spikes. Only if like, you... carrying around an invisible sword seems incredibly dangerous and like you would fall over a lot. Nah, nah, that's fine. Oh, okay. Well, good to know. Because I think you are right that it is behold, because if every time you put on a new outfit, you were holding a razor sharp magic sword in your hand, I think people would be a lot more polite about your clothing choices. And I think that would be kind of worth it. I think you would get a lot more compliments. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Plus, razor sharp magic sword made out of dragon bone. Is dragon fang made out of dragon bone? I know it's made out of a dragon, right? I don't recall its materials. I don't recall. I remember that its origin was Steve had it lying around. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's probably made out of dragon bone. Either way, cool magic sword. Pretty good accessory. Well, wait. I can pick the costume that goes with it, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah you're not necessarily wearing the golden burrito outfit. Yeah. I'm I... sorry. She's now got the modified golden burrito, but... Yeah, either way, I don't think I could really... Pull that look Pull up. Pull that off. Well, not with that attitude, you couldn't. I think maybe if you had the magic sword, you might have a little more swagger to it. Maybe, uh, maybe yeah. you could make it work, you know? Those are some nice tall boots. Yeah, they kind of make the make the outfit. Mm-hmm. That and the magic sword, obviously. The cape is pretty dope. It's a good cape. Yeah. Behold! Behold is indeed. the correct yes. answer. Yeah. What was your pie not made out of steel in this issue? What were your favorite words that you enjoyed much like you would enjoy a pie, were it not made out of steel? 
Yeah, I thought there were a few good options to choose from, but I'm I'm gonna go to uh, the opening page and it's and it's Namor's opening bit. Oh, okay. I think it had a really strong start for the issue. Uh, Namor says, "By Proteus, the time of reckoning has arrived, and you miscreants shall answer to the savage Submariner for their actions against Atlantis." That's some good Namor shit right there. And I like that he references Proteus because the horn that Kyle finds is the horn of Proteus. That one actually threw me for a loop because at first I was like, wait, not that like that X-Men dude, but that wouldn't be like Namor to be talking about that. Yeah, different guy. Wait, isn't it also, is that the name of the walking tub of goo from the new Teen Titans? Proteus? Oh, is, yeah. it, is, is he Pro- the goo man? Some, something like that. Maybe. Protoplasmus? Plasmus? Maybe Plasmus. It's Plasmus. It's Plasmus. Okay. Yeah, Proteus was the X-Men guy. Plasmus was the blobby guy. Mm-hmm. But then I looked it up, and uh, yeah, Proteus, uh, the shepherd of the seas. Ooh. In charge of, like, all the seals and are, stuff like that. Are there sea, like, are seals sea sheep like manatees or sea cows? Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Well, I mean, it's implied. I didn't right. say that in the I article would imagine so. that I read. Right. He reports to Poseidon, so really pretty high up the chain. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Is he a titan or a god? Uh, he's like a demigod. Oh, good deal. Proteus. Not bad. My pie not made out of steel. I mean, Valkyrie's line about the date was pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. But I decided to go with a different Namor one than yours. And I went with it because it totally cracked me up. It reminds me of... Did you see the episode of The Simpsons where Melhouse became Fallout Boy? The sidekick to the uh, atomic hero? No. I mean, he played him in a movie, and he talked about how much he hated acting, and he said the line like, I've said the words Jiminy Jilliker so many times, they've lost all meaning. Hmm. That reminded me so much of what Namor said when he attacked... Oh, I know where you're going with this. ...the presence, and says, I have spoken the words imperious Rex in response to so many threats that the words have almost lost their meaning. I shout them now, not with arrogance or unsullied pride, but for those who believe in me. As Prince of Atlantis, I shout them to avenge the pain and suffering of my people. Imperious Rex! Some good battle shit right there. It's some good battle shit. It's also made-up nonsense words that don't actually mean anything. Um, And I love the idea of, like, I've said these made-up nonsense words so many times they've almost lost meaning. Mm -hmm. Or they never had any. But they sound kind of like, kings are great! Maybe Atlantean is somehow a Latin-related language. It's an offshoot, like like pig Latin. Mm-hmm. Sea sheep Latin. Sea sheep Latin. Yeah. Anyway, that's my pie not made out of steel. What was your favorite panel? Whew. There was a few to choose from, for sure. I'm going to go with uh, what I call Cosmic Breakup on page 30. Mm. And it's the one where you were proposing that uh codename fuckface is perhaps wistfully glancing over his shoulder waiting for red guardian to be like no no i'm just kidding it's totally cool if you brainwash me as uh he's kind of floating away on his chair off into the into the sunset and red guardian is depicted in her like cosmic irradiated way and her hair is waving out all over the place super psychedelic and spacey looking and it's just a really cool panel it is a really cool panel i had that down as an option too i had a different name for it than you had i called that panel fuck off fart chair um (laughs) because there's a little fart coming out of the chair 
Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because yeah, fuck off, dude. Yeah. yeah but seriously. either way, it is a beautiful panel. Good riddance. My other favorite, and I, I think my actual favorite, is the Belinsky montage of her origin story, which is a pretty perfunctory origin. She really liked the first Red Guardian, who was kind of the Russian Captain America, but then he got disgraced and she was like, oh, I'll do that, but not be disgraced. And also, I will do it outside the law because I want to show that it's not great to just be under the thumb of an oppressive government, which sent my dad to Siberia. But I still love my country, so I'll be the Red Guardian. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's an awesome panel, and it is Klaus Jansen and Carmen Infantino doing a really nice job together, drawing a bunch of different shots of Tanya Belinsky and her background, and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And we see we see her kicking that uh that douchebag Pyotr in the face again. Mm-hmm. I remember that guy. He was a turd. First rate. First rate. Boop. Corey, have you joined Hive? That wasn't a rank, per se. Corey, you said it was first rate. That is ranking a poop. Do we need to have an intervention? Am I going to find a purple robe in that closet? It is not a spicy peoder. (laughs) Corey! We will talk after this show. (laughs) I don't know what you mean. Shut up, Rudy. Sartorially speaking, which element of fashion did you feel was worthy of note? Well, speak of the devil. Uh, Piotr's classic purple and green bad guy getup and his little fez getting knocked off his stupid head. I think it's a Cossack hat, not a fez, but you're right, it is stupid. That would make sense. And I'm not saying Cossack hats are stupid, I'm saying his is stupid. And he's stupid. Mm-hmm. And it's a stupid outfit. Yep. Not quite as stupid as uh, having some puppet show curtains hanging in front of your dick all the time. I don't like to think of them as puppet show curtains. I don't either, but that's what they drew. And now you've got me thinking about it, so thanks a lot. Sorry. (laughs) He doesn't look contrite at all, you guys. If you could see that face, he is pleased with himself. I am wearing a shit-eating grin of the purest contrition. (laughs) Every issue of a Defenders comic has at least one character who has to act in a way counter to their previously established characterization or motivation in a way that furthers the plot. To paraphrase the fat boys from Crush Groove, they've just got to be a sucker. In this issue, who was your sucker? Yeah, uh, you pointed out there's more than one option, and usually this is one that's a little tough for me to come up with a good solid Mm -hmm. lead, and I feel like I did, but he also had some competition. Yeah. You got your Nighthawks, who realize that they've been bested and kind of suck in the situation that they're in, which is not something we do see that sometimes. But I feel like we've... It's pretty rare. It had been rare, but I feel like once we've dinged him on that specific thing for being a sucker more than once, which I think has come up with Kyle, then kind of takes the teeth out of it. Which is why he's got only an honorable mention. Ah. Similarly, we also had Namor basically prefacing his statement about Hey, this isn't about me being totally awesome, guys. <laughs> I know it's weird, but Imperious Rex. Yeah. That was that was that a little was. weird. Th- those were two that I had noted. I also had the Hulk. Hmm. I know the Hulk can be is quick to anger and different things piss him off, but I'm not used to him being quite so jingoistic. It has come up a couple of times, but when he gets angry at Russians for speaking Russian in Russia... I feel like that's not the Hulk I know and love. Yeah. So I I had that as an option. 
I think it does come down to Namor thinking that the words Imperious Rex have lost meaning. I feel like every time he says that phrase, it is as, if not more, important than the last time that he said it. So I think that him saying that Imperious Rex has lost meaning does make him a bit of a sucker. Okay, that's fair. So yeah, Namor was was a strong second, but I had as my primary sucker codename Fuckface. Oh. Because it seemed really, to me, quite out of character that after Belinsky tells him to fuck off, he's like, okay. And he turns his chair around and flies away. I mean, maybe wistfully hoping to call her bluff, but that's just not at all what we have seen from him to date, where he's almost completely unaware of how anybody feels and doesn't care, as long as he thinks things are going to his plan. Yeah. Toxic masculinity can be very fragile, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, guys can get their feelings hurt super easily and then just be like little babies about it because they're not used to being rejected and don't know how to deal with it. I can see that being the case with Sergey. Yeah, me too. It's just not consistent with his behavior uh, to date. Fair enough. So, sucka. Every issue of a Defenders comic has a best defender and a worst offender. In this issue, who was the worst offender? Well, for sheer failure, for picking up horns and blowing into them without knowing what they do, mm-hmm. for uh, impotent displays of power and inconsistent follow-up, mm-hmm. and just for being a general fuck-knuckle, Kyle Richmond wins the prize yet again for me. He does for me, too. He did a remarkably bad job. I almost went with the Hulk. He also did a bad job in this issue. He did knock out the giant behemoth thing. Which had no effect on anything except for almost killing his teammates. I mean, I guess it saved Kyle's life. But even that, I feel like that was him doing kind of a bad job. And was kind of weird to see the Hulk shows up. He finds that there is a monster who is minding his own business, who then got lured into chasing a hero who was purposefully annoying the shit out of him, and he sides with Kyle on that? Yeah, that's That's true. You'd think that would have been a bonding thing for the folks. Yeah, it would have been like, oh, fuck, they're doing that to you too? Yeah. And instead he killed that guy. It's not that cool. He also, again, the thing where he goes (laughs) to... It's not that cool. It's not that cool. He also, like I said, he goes to Russia and gets mad at Russians for speaking Russian. That's not that cool. That was so shocking to me that I took a picture of that panel on my phone and I texted it. I saw that. It was pretty funny. It's a tough choice. I think I am still going to go with Kyle, but the Hulk was definitely in the running in this one. In general, he didn't do that great. No, he got his butt kicked by a codename Fuckface, and Mm -hmm. then he killed... The creature that was uh, could have been his friend. Yeah, they could have bonded over their mutual hatred of Kyle. And instead, Hulk says, Well, I really don't like it when Bird Nose bosses me around. It pisses me off, but I still got to help him fight this giant thing. Yeah, you know what? I, you talked me into it. The Hulk was the worst defender. What? Yep. Is this the first time you've ever had the Hulk be the worst? I think it might have come up before. I think it came up when he was uh, racist against the Tibetans in that one issue. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess his xenophobia is not completely unprecedented, but it is unfortunate. So, bad job, the Hulk. Conversely, who was the best defender? Uh, In this one, I'm 
happy to choose Hellcat because uh, she doesn't get a lot of time to shine with all the competition for for great defending. Um, she was good. In yeah. This issue, like you said, she used her uh, ninja mind powers to do the grapply hook thing. She also used the most powerful and least utilized superheroic power, the power of conversation. Mm-hmm. She took the time to talk to the Red Guardian and get her to snap out of it. And mm-hmm. I think in concert with her rescuing her and using her Jedi mind tricks, really saved the day. I, I also had Hellcat. My backup was Namor. Namor did a really good job. He was very noble, somewhat self-awarely noble, but uh, noble nonetheless, and really fought on behalf of his people and asked that they not sacrifice themselves for him, despite Sergei fucking that up. But uh, great job, Namor. It is a shame that they are all going to die of terminal radiation poisoning at the end. I really enjoyed this team. I wonder who will replace them. Yeah, the next... 97 or so issues are going to be pretty lonely without these guys. I think it's just a long funeral and wake, probably. Oh my god. Yeah. It's like a million wedding comic issues, except funeral ones, except which for are even sadder. worse. I know, because, I mean, Sting will probably be at both. <laughs> the guy just loves a party. Corey, we both know that the Hulk rules. In this issue, what was the Hulk's rules? I'm trying to find some way to find a silver lining to him hating any language that's not English. Yeah. And it's impossible, so I just made up a different rule that said good communication is really important. Oh, yeah. I think that's fair, and that is true, and he maybe learned that from watching Hellcat talk to the Red Guardian. Yeah, let's say that. Yeah, let's. I think that's a very good rule for the Hulk to learn. I had him learning a different rule. I had him learning the rule, hey, Don't just pick up a random musical instrument and start playing it. We've seen that turn out bad a few times now. There's the harmonica of destiny. Mm, That was a doozy. Yeah. There's this, uh, this non-shofar. I think if you picked up Mal's, uh, shofar and started playing that without any context, it would even the odds of any fight, but then if you lost the fight, you died. Wasn't that one of the rules for it? Where the angel punches you in the dick? Yeah, an angel shows up, punches you in the dick to death. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Oh. Or what if you pick up a tambourine? Then you'll play the tambourine. These are all terrible things that could happen. We can't all pull it off like Freddie Mercury. No. I often think of the, uh, the song Hey Tambourine Man. Play a song for me. Who the fuck wants to hear somebody play a song unaccompanied on the tambourine? Especially if you're not sleepy and there's nowhere you're going to. Like, if you're sleepy and you just need to jolt to, like, wake you up. But, like, as a lullaby? A fucking tambourine solo? What the fuck? Yeah, maybe it meant something different. (laughs) Like drugs? That's probably it. The only reason they let the tambourine dude hang out is because he was the guy with the bag. Oh, and you had to say nice shit about him or he wouldn't share. Yeah. I got it. Okay. Yeah, anyway, just don't pick up a... a, You you see a random instrument lying around, especially in a comic book, or if it's a tambourine, don't just pick it up and start playing. I mean, you'll knock drugs all over the floor if it's the tambourine. For starters. Or it'll be enchanted and you'll raise a... uh, masonry leviathan that will try to destroy you and everyone you care about not good no and that's the hulk's rules 
Corey, let's set the Wayback Machine to 1978 and write some wongs. In the year of our Lord, 1978, and the month of our Lord, January, what wongs needed writing? Yeah, Wong is still trying to puzzle through some, some weird shit, man. Yeah? Yeah, he had gotten into some of the Jamaican incense. Oh, boy. He'd uh, had a little visit from the tambourine man. A little visit from the tambourine man and was feeling musical. Uh-oh. Took his paycheck, went down to the Tower Records again, and um, saw this display. Uh, a new company, record company, had, had come out with their very first record. It was Rhino Records. Oh. Was, yeah. Yeah. Um, all kinds of eclectic stuff that they, they produce. Independent music, blues, jazz, other stuff. They put out some pretty awesome records. Their very first record was called Wild Mania by an artist uh, by the name of Wildman Fisher. Have you heard this shit? I have not. Should I? It's like, uh, it's kind of like Wesley Willis, but like from the 70s. Oh. It's, I listened to five or six of his songs and then I read the history that he, he got in trouble in school all the time for singing uncontrollably in class and making weird like ululations oh. and noises and then they his mom committed him in the mid 60s and then he got out and then um got a record deal and Whoa. played with frank zappa and the mothers of invention and then uh, they had a big falling out over royalties and he went off and he did some of his own stuff but it is the weirdest fucking shit so that's what wong was doing listening to to wild man wild man fisher on the hi-fi with the wow. jamaican incense Huh. Well, that may have been one thing that he was up to. In addition to that, perhaps still influenced by the Jamaican incense and maybe hotboxing the Sanctum Sanctimonious, he and Steve cranked up the satellite on their TV and tuned into a little British program called All Creatures Great and Small. Oh. And they got super into it. <laughs> yes, one does. Super into it. For those of you who haven't seen, All Creatures Great and Small is fucking delightful. I would heartily recommend it. I would recommend the books by James Herriot, who was a countryside veterinarian in, I think, like, 1915, something like that, World War I era England. It's a charming, charming television program. Now, they both got super into this show, and as an extension of that, got briefly super into the idea of animal rights hmm. and uh, really started looking into it. Steve was, as I said, maybe affected from the hot boxing of the Sanctum, found out that there was a team called the Hartford Whalers, and he thought that they were actually going whaling, and he's like, they're killing whales? No, I've read this literature from Greenpeace. And they seem to think that's bad, so now I think it's bad, because James Harriet seems nice, and he wouldn't approve of that. So Wong was trying to talk to him and be like, no, that's a hockey team, Steve. They're, they're not, it's, it's maybe a poorly chosen name, but that, that's, they're not actually doing that. Steve was, would not listen. He destroyed the roof of the Hartford Civic Center, oh, where the Whalers played. Uh, fortunately, Wong was there to uh, mitigate the damage and see that there were no actual injuries. But uh, I could say he had a case of wild mania. It sounds like he may have. 
Fortunately, Wong was able to distract Steve by the brilliantly designed logo for the Hartford Whalers. Oh, which is a, it's a just really good. It's a whale tail and an H and a W all in one. And Steve got a little bit mesmerized by that, and Wong was able to calm him down a little bit. And uh, uh, relatively soon after that, the uh, Hartford Civic Center was repaired, which is a good thing, because uh, at the time of the collapse, the roof was only three years old. So it wasn't like it was a decrepit building. Um, it was just Steve a little bit too uh, revved up after watching a bunch of all creatures great and small, which I think we can all identify with. You, you watch sure. that uh, it's a charming, folksy, veterinary television program. You just get all revved up, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. Just, uh, but uh, thankfully, Wong was able to calm him down. And that was the Wong that needed writing in the year of our Lord, 1978, and the month of our Lord, January. Pretty good. If you'd like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you'd like to hear what a duck sounds like, it's like this. <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> like that. That was a bad one. You can also get in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram and oh, so many different ways. If you just type Tighten Up the Defense podcast, comics, not football into a computer, then it will maybe give you a printout that you would enjoy, and you can go to a bunch of different places and get into touch with us. Like an internet cafe. That. Yeah, go to an internet cafe. Or a public library. Uh-huh. Or um, a one of those, like... Uh, hotel business center. A hotel business center. Yeah, that was the one I was thinking of. Maybe if you, you have an Apple Newton and you're on a train in the 90s, you could uh, get... In- into touch with us that way. What is an Apple Newton? The treat? No, no, no. The Apple Newton was the precursor to the iPad. That what? was from the 90s. If you watch a little film called Under Siege 2 starring Steven Seagal, you'll see that it is a Apple Newton uh, features heavily into <laughs> Pretty that. Sure you have to use a stylus with it. A few it. times. Well, apparently you didn't learn its message, which is that a Apple Newton can get you out of all kinds of jams. All right, all right. Anyway, that's some of the ways you can get into touch with us. You can also uh, donate to us monetarily and keep fine work such as this <laughs> coming. The way to do that is patreon.com slash Wasteland for all your giving us money needs. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material and more is on the way. Some of that bonus material is a monthly podcast that I co-host with Lisa called What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. And if you'd like to hear more of Lisa, she is going to be appearing on a episode of Jane Miles Explain the X-Men that I think should be out by the time this episode is out. So you should check that out. You know what? I don't often plug other shows, but here's one that you should also check out. Smash Fiction. It's a show I've guested on a couple of times. It's a really good show. Like us, they just celebrated their fourth anniversary. And they have announced that they are, after they finish their current run of episodes, they're going to discontinue the show and work on other projects. I'm really excited to see what those are. They're a great group of people. And uh, four years is a hell of an accomplishment. Congratulations, guys. You make a great show. And thank you for doing it. Here, here. That's all I got. You got anything else you want to say, Corey? If you like what you heard, you could leave a review. Oh, that's true. You can leave a review lots of places. You can leave a review on Apple Music, which is, I believe... Or wait, we're not music. Isn't... 
I mean, I did sing a little song. Apple Podcasts, I think, is probably where you can find more of our stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, we are on LinkedIn now. <laughs> we are. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, you can contact us on LinkedIn. Leave us a review there. Is that something you people do on LinkedIn? I don't know. I got the free one for business. I don't know how it works. Oh, okay. Well, we'll find out. Yeah, we'll be putting some job postings up there. Hey, speaking of business, would you guys wear Tighten Up the Defense t-shirts? Oh. I bet we could figure out a way to make some t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Corey's good at drawing things. Yeah, Maybe we could yeah. draw a thing and make some t-shirts. Sure. All right. Yeah. Uh, other than that, yeah, uh, you can leave us a review on Stitcher. Or Barker. That's another one. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Is that an actual thing? There's a thing called Barker? There isn't. Probably You're thinking of Ma Barker, the famous uh, criminal. I always get those mixed up. (laughs) I know you do. Podcast sites and famous criminals. Yeah. There's one called Podbean. It seems like a dumb name, but maybe it's a great site. comes out of a pod. Yeah, I get, like, a pea comes out of a pod. Peas are legume. Beans are legumes. Yeah, I mean, peanuts are legume, too. Comes out of a pod also. All right, your story checks out. Thank you. Leave us a review on peanuts.com. Podbean. Podbeans. Is it, what was it? I think it's called Podbean. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there's Stitcher, there's Overcast, there's a lot of different sites, and uh, it would be nice if you left us nice reviews on all of them. Confuse them. That, that'll that stick it to the man. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. And they knew it. ravaged my once youthful features and left me the wizened gargoyle you see before you today. I think that's a little unfair. Wizened! I'm wizened as fuck, dude! But you're not gargoyle Oh, that's true. I just meant that I'm powerful. Oh. <laughs> and my muscles are like they're made out of stone. Chiseled! Chiseled, I think, is a chiseled how you gargoyle. Me. Well, how else are you going to make a gargoyle? Yeah, you can't really just wizen one from stone. No, no. I mean, wow, that would be a hell of a maturation process for stone. Mm. If just gargoyles were just really old rocks. Mm-hmm. That would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess sometimes they're, uh, you know, enchanted noblemen who were, you know, too vain. Oh, really? Isn't that how you make a gargoyle? Um... No, I just thought they were old rocks. Oh, just <laughs> really old them. rocks. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, scare away the... It's like, hey, found one. This, this one looks like a, looks like a demon with a long nose. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> just need four more of them? Or three more of them? I guess depending on how many... How many spires you got. Yeah, or parapets. Yeah, I'm... I like to play... I, I talk a good game, but I'm not really a uh, gothic architect. What? I know.